What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Porn and the Gospel. I am your host, Spencer Sutton, and I am glad you're here with me. Man, it feels good in Birmingham, Alabama. The weather has uh, gotten much colder. It's the day before Thanksgiving when I'm um, when I'm recording this, and there's plenty to be thankful for. I'm so thankful for a lot of things. My family, uh, my wife, my son, my daughter. Uh, man, I praise God for them. And then also, I, I do want to uh, say this. We were just this past weekend. My dad gathered all of the uh, all of the men uh, from our family. Uh, up in Nashville. And so we drove up to Nashville, my son and I drove up to Nashville and we, um, we just got together to read a book together and we didn't really read the book. We all read it beforehand, but then, uh, we walked through chapter by chapter of a book called gentle and lowly, the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. And it's written by a man named Dane Ortland. And I'm just going to highly recommend that book because I think it has something that uh, something in it that every man uh, needs to needs to hear. And it's really it, what it's doing is it's taking the word of God, along with a lot of Puritan writers back in the day, and it's just revealing and showing us the actual heart of Christ for those of us who struggle with sin, which is everybody. And so this is this is especially important for the man who, feels trapped in habitual sin and pornography, especially for the man who, who just, just winds up in this pit of shame day after day, week after week, month after month. And so I'm just going to read a quick quote from the book. Um, so I had chapters 7, 15, and 23 were the ones that I was responsible for kind of leading the discussion. And this thought uh, was really, really uh, powerful to me. And uh, so I'm going to share it with you real quick. And it's just a short little quote that says, the sins of those who belong to God open the floodgates of his heart and compassion for us. The dam breaks. It is not our loveliness that wins his love. It is our unloveliness. Our hearts gasp to catch up with this. It is not how the world around us works. It's not how our own hearts work, but we bow in humble submission letting God set the terms by which he will love us. And the whole thought on this chapter, which is chapter seven, is just all around Hosea 11. And he's talking about the sins of the people. He says, my people are bent on turning away from me. But then he goes down in verse nine. He says, I will not execute my burning anger. My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. And the whole point is, it's not, it's not our goodness. It's not the fact that we think we have things together or, uh, you know, that our life looks put together, that God's heart goes out to us. It's, it's our sin. It's the fact that we're struggling with sin. So I want you to hear this, brother. You who are struggling with pornography, like the heart of Christ goes out to you. So many of us think that Jesus is so frustrated with us and just, man, he's just tired of forgiving us for this sin. Like, I mean, I know that's what you're thinking because that's what I thought for many, many, many years. God is just up there going, man, when are, when is he going to get it together? And that's just not, it's not God. That's not the heart of Christ. His love is steadfast. 
it doesn't waver. If, if you are truly a child of God, like if you have been justified by the blood of Christ, it's that blood and it's faith in that blood that saves us. It's all by grace. Now, God does want us to grow in holiness. He does want us to grow and become Christ-like. So this is the process of sanctification. And guess what? It's going to go on until we're on the other side of this life right? Until we, like death is a doorway. It's not the end. It's the very beginning. And it's the doorway to eternal life with, with Christ. And so the whole book of Hebrews is don't stop. Don't give up. Keep going. Don't fall back into your old pattern, your old, old life. Keep going. So that's my book plug uh, before we tackle this uh, big issue that we're going to discuss today. So if you haven't read the book, Gentle and Lowly, Highly, highly, highly recommend it. You will not regret it. Small, short chapters, 23 of them, but they pack a powerful punch. So now the big question, the, the thing that we're going to address today is, should you tell your wife about your porn addiction? I mean, this is a question that I get asked a lot. And if I don't get asked about it, it's still on men's minds is still on the mind of a man who's married or uh, um, the mind of a, of a guy who has a girlfriend, uh, the Christian man who has a girlfriend. He's asking or thinking, should I tell my girlfriend, should I tell my spouse about my porn addiction? So I want to I, I talk about that. I mean, this is very, very, very important, I believe. And uh, I'm gonna, we're, we're going to look at scripture first. And because I'm still in Hebrews, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at Hebrews, and we're going to talk about this, and I'm going to give you my answer and how I talk to men about it. And then, um, and then you get to decide, you know, ultimately. So here we go. Let's look at Hebrews 11. I'm going to start. Um, we're going to talk about Moses here, okay? So we're going to, I mean, this, this Hebrew writer does a beautiful job. He talks about Abel and Enoch and um, and, uh, Noah, and then he goes on to Abraham and Sarah, and then he comes, uh, and then, you know, he talks briefly about Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And, and then he talks about Moses here, and we're going to look at some of those, but the focus is going to be on these passages, just these few verses that we're going to, we're going to look at. So let's look at them. Hebrews eleven twenty three. by faith, Moses, when he was born was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on, as on dry ground, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. So that's it. That's, those are the verses that, that deal with Moses. So, Let's talk about this, and we're going to get to the answering the question, should you talk to your spouse or tell your spouse about your porn addiction? So when we 
when I was thinking about this, when I was writing and reading these passages, which was just this morning, I started thinking like fear keeps many men trapped in patterns of addictive sin, right? So how many men do you think I've spoken to over the past several years? And I'm talking too many to count who have said with their mouths and who say with their mouths, yes, I believe that the Lord can deliver me. Like this is, and this is the hope. This is good. But they, they're saying this, they're thinking it, they're believing it, they're praying it. God, I do believe you can deliver me. Some men reach a point where they say, this is just going to be with me for the rest of my life. But I would say a majority of followers of Christ do believe that God can deliver them. Like they would never deny that when asked outright. Yet, they don't take steps of faith. Right. So the whole book of Hebrews is, is about faith and specifically this chapter. Um, and why? Because the Christians back in here were tempted. They were facing hardships and persecution. They were tempted to fall back into their old Jewish life. And so why do men say this with their mouth? Yes, I believe the Lord can deliver me from this habitual like viewing of pornography from habitual porn and masturbation. Why do they say that? And then never take a step of faith. And the answer is what I mentioned just earlier. It's fear, not faith. So what happens is they talk themselves out of opening up to anyone and getting the real help they need. So they talk themselves out of this. So they're having these conversations. You're having these conversations in your mind about what you should and shouldn't do. Faith is saying, yes, the Lord can deliver me, but is it really faith because we're not taking a step forward? Or maybe we're comfortable telling this one person because they struggle with the same thing. And I know they're not going to judge me, but also guys realize this, that the man who's struggling with the same thing that you keep talking to about it is probably not the one to help you. It's probably not the one who's going to give you the kind of uh, instruction and um, counsel that you need to find freedom. So, what really triggered this whole thought is yesterday morning, I had a call with a gentleman and his comments to me were, and this is very common for me to have conversations on the phone with guys who are struggling, but his comment to me was like, I can't tell anybody about this. Like I, he said, he said, I have no one to talk to about this. And he could never tell his wife. He said, I could never tell my, his wife my wife. One of the things I ask guys when I'm on the phone with them and we're talking about porn addiction, we're talking about getting help for porn addiction. One of the things that uh, I ask guys is, are you willing to do whatever it takes? Are you willing to do whatever it takes? Actually, they, they fill it out on a form before they get on the phone with me, just so I can kind of read some answers and get an idea of where they are before we talk. And this, this gentleman had said, I, uh, not sure was his comment when I said, are you willing to do whatever 
is necessary. And so I asked him about that. I said, well, tell me, you know, I'm sitting here reading the form. I said, I'd love to hear more, know more about your answer here. You're not sure. And he was just being very, very honest and truthful, which I appreciated very much. And he said, well, I said that because I could never tell my wife. And, you know, uh, so, so if you're asking me to tell my wife, then, then the answer is no, I won't do whatever it takes. And so I, I, we started, we were started to unpack that. Right. And so the, the things that, that really stuck out to me were the fact that he said he had no one to talk to and that he couldn't tell his wife, which means he was isolated, right? He was dealing with this himself. And so when he found out that I would talk to men about it, uh, he couldn't believe it. He was like, wow, this is amazing. So why do you think this man said he couldn't tell anybody or he didn't have anybody to talk to about it? Was it because he didn't know another man who was a believer, a follower of Christ that he could talk to about it? No. Was it because he had been ridiculed and mocked and chased out of the church for sharing with his pastor or elders? No then why hadn't he shared his porn addiction with one other person? This man was 50 or is 58 years old, 58. So I, I want to take a, just a short break here. If you are 30 years old or you're in your twenties, your thirties, your forties, and you're listening to this, don't think that this thing goes away. It doesn't just die with old age. It digs its roots deep, deep, deep into the patterns of your life. So don't think that you're going to wake up one day and it's going to be gone. So why hadn't this man shared with one other person, his wife or someone else? Fear. That's it. It's just fear. That's the answer. And so what is fear? I know that there's a what people like to say fear is F E A R, which is false evidence appearing real. And that really is a, a pretty good description. So what I notice about Moses in our passage here at the very beginning was in verse, I want to say verse 23 is Moses had examples of faith in his parents. His, his parents took risks. They believed they had faith and they acted on that faith and they hid Moses. They weren't afraid of the king's edict. So do you have that? Do you have an example of faith? Do you have somebody that you can look up to and say, man, this person, and I'm thinking for men, I'm thinking of another man. Maybe it's your father. Maybe it's uh, somebody in your church. Maybe it's you know, somebody. Do you have somebody that you're looking to and say, wow, this is a great example of what faith in action looks like? What about your church leaders? Like, do you know men who are not just talking about faith, but they're taking God glorifying risks based on the word of God? I mean, so think about, think about the people of faith that we read here in Hebrews. And this is what the writer is trying to do. He's like, he's pointing back to all of these people that, uh, that, his audience would be well aware of that they have studied for years and years, even as a Jewish um, person, like they would understand who these people were. Like he looked at Abel, 
they looked at Abel and, and Abel had faith in the blood of Christ. And so he brought an acceptable sacrifice. I would say that Abel learned this from his parents, from Adam and Eve, who, when they were hiding in the garden, God killed an animal and clothed them. Blood was shed pointing towards Christ. And so Abel believed as well and brought the acceptable sacrifice. Then we read about Enoch. Enoch walked with God. In Hebrews, he says it, he pleased God. But in Genesis, we read that he walked with God. And then Noah had faith in God. What did Noah do? Noah built the ark. It didn't just come together. He actually had to take steps of faith. Abraham left everything behind. And listen, None of these people had it all together. None of these people were perfect. Even if we don't read about it, <laughs> even if all we know about Enoch is that he walked with God and then he was no more, everybody has their issues. Abraham, like the father of faith, look at, look at everything he went through. He lied. He struggled with faith, but yet God continued to reassure him. He continued to bring him promise when, when Abraham said, oh, may Ishmael live before you forever, he goes, God goes, no, I'm not going to, that's not going to happen. And then we read about Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, all on their own journey of faith, tests and trials and difficulties, yet always believing, always hoping, and always living differently from this world. So what we see here in Moses is faith in God making decisions. And the result is friendship with God. The result is he was used by God. And he led other men. And so my what I would say to you when I'm reading these passages is that faith always demands a choice. So look at this, look at what we read. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Faith always demands a choice. And here we see both a yes and a no in Moses, in the life of Moses a yes to the promises of God, a yes to trials and tribulation and mistreatment. Like he's, he is choosing this. Why? Because he believes his true identity. No matter what Pharaoh said of him, no matter who said you are Pharaoh's child, he knew his true identity. He was a child of God. He was, he was an Israelite. So his true and eternal identity was in Christ, and he was looking forward to a future in a distant reward as opposed to an immediate and fleeting one. So that was the yes. And what was the no? Well, the no was to the promises of the world, to power and prestige and pleasure. I mean, think about being in the household of Pharaoh, the most powerful ruler in the world at that time, everything that came with it. So he said no to all of that. And he said no to an identity apart from Christ. Anything apart from Christ was considered the lesser wealth and the lesser reward. 
And so when I was thinking about this and writing about this, I started asking myself the question, what do my choices reveal about my faith and my vision? What do my choices in life reveal about my faith and my vision? Like I have to see a, a better future, like a, a different hope. I can't hope and you can't hope like the world hopes. We have to look well beyond this. So think about this. He, Moses made this choice based on what he considered. It says he considered the reproach of Christ, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So what does considered mean? It means he thought deeply, deeply about it. So when we think about something, we can either we can either think about it through the lens of faith or we can think about it through the lens of fear. And so what do you think this man who I spoke with yesterday, what was he looking at his situation through the lens of faith or through the lens of fear? Well, he could never talk to another man about it because in his mind, and, and he even told me, he said, Spencer, I believe 80% of the church struggles with pornography. 80% of the men in the church struggle with pornography, which means that the church that he faithfully attended, he would, he would say there's 80, 80% of the people struggle with porn. Okay. So why hadn't he spoken with anybody? Why did he believe he was all alone? Because he considered what had, what did he consider? He considered the I mean, think about this. I guess the question is, was, is this man thinking more about what other people think about him? Or is he thinking more about what God thinks about him and what God's hope is for this man, what God's desire is for this man, what God's plan is for this man, or is he just thinking about, well, what will people say about me? That's a tough one, guys. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that this is easy. But Moses considered, he thought deeply, deeply, deeply about it. And so he left. He left. I mean, think about that. It says, by faith, he left Egypt. So this is the first leaving Egypt. This is not, because the writer of Hebrews is doing this chronologically. This is not, more than likely, this is not speaking of when the, the entire people left. This is probably talking about when he left and went to Midian. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. So he wasn't afraid of what, the, what Pharaoh was going to do to him. Now, it does say in Genesis or in Exodus, that he was afraid that other people had found out that he killed this man. Yes, but when he left, he made the decision. Moses made the decision based in faith. He must have known, like he was 40 years old, so he must have known God was going to use him. He was a special child. His parents hid him because they saw that he was special. He believed who he was. He didn't see himself as a prince of Egypt. He saw himself as a child of God. And so, therefore, he was not afraid of the king, and he left. He must have thought, well, if, like, if God's not using me right now, then 
I still trust him. I still have faith in him. I'll leave not worried about what the king is going to do to me because I am in the hands of God. And so he left. But before he left, trust me, he considered. He thought deeply. He reckoned. And when we reckon, when the word reckon there, we are thinking deeply, especially in regards to taking action. So let's think about this. I want you to know there's three things that make you who you are today. The man who's listening to this, there's three things that make you who you are today. Number one, it's your DNA. All right. So you were given parents, you were given a family, and you have a certain belief and value system more than likely passed on to you by your parents. So you have your DNA. This is all God's grace. You did not choose that. God did that. And if you're a follower of Christ, if you are a believer, then you can look back at your life. And even if it wasn't your parents who led you to faith in Christ, you can look back and see how God used your parents and other people in your life. That's all God's grace. So that's number one, your DNA, your belief and value system. Number two, the time and place where you were born. Like I can tell you, if you were born in 1800, your life would look different. If you were born in 1500, your life would look different. But you were born when you were born and the place where you were born, no matter where you're listening to this from, if you're a follower of Christ, what if you, I've, I've traveled enough to know that if I were born in the middle of Bihar, India, that my life would absolutely look different. So that's God's grace. So number one, your DNA. Number two, the time and place where you were born, God's grace, God's grace. And then number three, this is the third thing that makes you who you are. And that's just your choices. And so look at your life and tell me if this isn't true. Like many men want to paint their life as like they want to play the victim. Like they want to blame much of their circumstances, many of their circumstances on other people, but it's not true. You have choices every single day. You have had choices for years and years and years and years. So don't blame anybody else for where you are in life. And it may be a great situation that you're in, or it might be a crummy situation, whatever the case is. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're a true believer, then praise God for that. And you can make decisions today based on that truth, based on who you believe yourself to be like Moses did. Moses is like, he was walking in faith. Why? Because of his identity, his identity was in Christ. So back to our main question, should you tell your wife about your porn addiction? Like what I would ask you is, what do you feel God is asking you to do? And then answer the question, why is he asking you to do this? What do you think God wants you to do? And, and before you jump quickly into that, I want you to, think about your stories. What are the stories you're telling yourself? 
I've had lunch with men. I've been on the phone with men. I've talked with men like many, many times over that have given me all the reasons why they don't tell their spouse. And listen, I believed all the stories too. One guy, one buddy of mine, we were having lunch and he said, you know, my wife would look at that as adultery and therefore she would leave me. That's the big story. And so we justify not telling our spouse because we think, well, something worse would happen. And that is that they would leave me. So it's better that I keep this a secret and battle on my own and just become free. And that way I don't ever have to divulge this to my spouse. And the man yesterday said the same thing. And so he, he quoted me a scripture that justified that kind of backed up his position. I'm listen, I'm just asking you, what do you, what do you feel God wants you to do? And ultimately, like, ultimately, we have to know, like, we must know beyond a shadow of a doubt what God thinks of us. Does he love us? Are we his children? Does he truly desire good for us? So this is, comes back to identity. Who am I? Because we know that the biggest fear, that one of the biggest fears that men have is the fact that, hey, I'm going to be known. I'm going to be truly known. I'm going to let my wife or let my friend in behind the wall that I protected myself behind. Like I've built this wall. It's this castle. I'm hiding in my castle. I know I'm not hiding from God, but I'm hiding from everybody else. And, and what happens if I lower that drawbridge and let my spouse in? to see me for who I truly am, what's going to happen. So are you more concerned about what your wife is going to think about you? Or are you more concerned about taking steps of faith? Like A.W. Tozer said this, he said, what a man thinks about when he thinks about God is the absolute most important thing about the person. So step one in as to whether you should tell your spouse is understand who God is, understand his true desire for you, his true desire. Is it to keep it to yourself or is it to share it with your spouse or share it with a friend? And then I would say, pray for the faith to do whatever he's telling you to do. So that's, that's my answer. Like, don't look at anybody else. Don't look at anybody else. Look to God. Ask God. Reveal. Ask God to reveal it to your heart. If you're sitting there and saying, oh, well, Spencer, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And what you're doing probably is playing a ton of scenarios in your mind. Well, what if this happened? What if... What if my wife tells her best friend and then, then her husband knows, well, I hang out, I play golf with this guy. What's he going to think about me? And blah, 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 blah. You know, <laughs> this is our problem is that we tell all these stories and then nobody in the church is real about this issue. And so we have massive amounts of pornography being consumed in the church. And we wonder why we're not making disciples. We're wondering why we're not fulfilling the great commission. Uh, we're okay to talk about giving or we're okay to talk about whatever I mean, you name it, but, but let's not talk about this. Let's not talk about sexual sin in the church. 
it's way too sensitive of a subject. What I think probably needs to happen is it needs to be talked about in front of women. Like they need to understand what is going on. Just because we're not talking about it doesn't mean it's not a massive issue. So if you're a pastor listening to this, my encouragement to you, brother in Christ, do not hide from this massive issue. Don't, don't just push it down to a men's ministry somewhere that meets once a week in a small corner of the church. It is not talked about like this is a massive issue. So brother, should you tell your wife about your porn addiction? Great question. Ask God. I believe he'll tell you. And whatever he tells you, walk in faith, like take massive steps of faith, even scary ones. Even scary ones is my encouragement to you. Make your choice. You're always going to need to say yes to something and no to something else. All right, brothers, that's it. Uh, would love to, uh, if you hadn't subscribed, I'd love for you to subscribe, uh, download it, leave a review. If you uh, are brave enough to, to do that, would love to see your comments on this podcast. And I will see you next time after Thanksgiving. Man, have a great Thanksgiving. I know there's a lot to be thankful for for all of us. So praise God. And uh, before we go, I, I do want to say a prayer. I, I just want to. I want to pray for you. I know I don't typically end like this, but I, I believe, I feel that men out there need encouragement. I feel like men do need to be encouraged through uh, the Spirit. So, Lord, I just pray for the men who are listening to this, however many, however few, doesn't matter, God, you know the hearts of all men. Like you've been speaking. If, if a man's been listening, you've been speaking to him. I trust that. I believe that. Lord, I pray that you would receive glory and honor and praise for what you're going to do in the lives of men. No matter if it's today or tomorrow or next week, God, I just pray that you would reveal truth to these men. And as they're asking you, God, should I share with my spouse or should I share with a friend of mine? God, give them courage. Like help them to see that you're in control. There's nothing that man can do. There's nothing that man can say that will ever change who we are in Christ. God, give us that faith. Give me that faith. I'm tempted to fear and to fall back into fear and to not be open about things going on in my life. So, God, I just pray that for myself, just like a prayer for these guys. Lord, I love you. We praise you. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. All right, guys, I will be back with another episode of Porn in the Gospel.